you, Alexis. Thank you, everyone, for your singing. I invite you to turn with me to the book of James. And uh, I got to say, I'm, I, I'm impressed, guys. It is freezing cold out for us Floridians, and you guys are here. I'm telling you what. I'm telling you what. I know that is because of your love for the Lord, your dedication to the Word, and wanting to grow in your faith. Um, but I would understand. I would understand if you stayed home bundled up, but I'm grateful because I think the message this morning is a message of warmth and comfort and encouragement for us all. We actually find ourselves in the final verses of James. We love this book. I've really grown to love it and enjoy hearing what God has for us as we go through it. And in our text today, uh, we're going to kind of see, just like in the cold weather we're experiencing outside, in life we go through different seasons, don't we? There's the spring, there's the summer, the fall, and at least this, and sometimes in Florida, the frigid winter as well. Every season is different, but every season serves a purpose. And in our life, whether you're in the highs or the lows, or, or perhaps in the doldrums of life, where you feel like not much is happening, nothing really tests our faith like whatever season we find ourselves in, right? Even in the season of plenty, that is a test in our faith as well. But the Bible tells us that God loves us and he leads us through these seasons because of his plan and his hope for our future. And the seasons of our lives demonstrate by how we respond if we really have faith in God to work through these circumstances, whatever they may be, for his glory and for our good. And I think James is going to aptly tell us this morning, because this is the inspired word of God, that we can have faith in God in every season. Let me read these final verses for us. Verses 13 to 20, the end of James chapter 5. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth, um, sorry, I lost my place there, wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. So, uh, here we have another passage of James where he's covering a lot of topics at once, and it's kind of hard to understand. And if you pick one verse out by itself, you really can make that verse mean whatever you want without understanding the, the, the full context. That's what we call proof texting or, or pretexting. We don't want to do that. We want to understand the context because here there is so much encouragement for us. Whatever season of life we're in, and verses 13 to 15 tell us, first of all, 
We can have faith in God for every season. So pray in faith. Pray in faith. Is any of you suffering misfortune or hardship? He almost doesn't even need to ask the question, does he? <laughs> but you can see by the fact that he says, is any of you suffering? Uh, you know, is, is, is any of you cheerful? So he's covering the different seasons of our lives with these rhetorical questions, but he's not asking that question as if he would be surprised for you to say, yes, James, I'm going through an incredible hardship right now. Of course you are. We understand this is a part of our life. This is a part of our human experience. And this is why as you scan these verses, and I encourage you to do that, if you have a highlighter, highlighter, if you have the app, tap it and highlight it. Look at how many times he says pray or prayer. Verse 13, pray. Verse 14, the elders, pray. Verse 15, prayer of faith. Verse 16, confess your sins, which has an element of prayer, but then pray for one another. And then again, the prayer of a righteous person. Verse 17, Elijah prayed. Verse 18, he prayed again. Do you get the picture? Whatever season, that's a great question. How many times do we pray? Every day, without ceasing, whatever season, prayer and a prayer of faith is a total dependence on God and is designed for our good. It is our communication with God. It is the opening of our hearts to his working in our lives. No matter the season, if you're empty or you're full, if you're sick or you have health and you're thankful for that this morning, if you're wealthy, or scraping a couple nickels together to, to, to get by this week. God is with his people. Amen? He has not left us, and he never will. Now, James is not spiritualizing the problems, which is oftentimes I feel like we as Christians can be guilty of because we want everyone to be in a good season. We want everyone to be healthy. We want everyone to have their needs met. And so sometimes we... We want to skip over the hard stuff or just focus on the positive. That's not what James is doing here because he, he acknowledges there are hardships. Some of you are suffering. And even these Jewish Christians, how much ink has he spilled in the earlier chapters addressing? They are being persecuted right now. Some of them are being killed for their faith. Are we just supposed to spiritualize that and not act like that is a big major sacrifice? or the fear of suffering and hardship, what is to come? Will the government crack down on us next? Will they kick in the door of our church next? We don't have to fear that much in North Sarasota. So imagine the suffering that these Jewish Christians were going through. And this word suffering right off the top of verse 13, it's a similar word, it's the same word used in 2 Timothy 2.9 when Paul speaks of his suffering in chains, in bondage. So this isn't just, well, you stubbed your toe on the way in this morning, although I'm sorry if you did. Hope you feel better. We're talking about the real gritty stuff, the messes, the stuff that we can't just pray away. He's not saying pray it away. He's saying, remember, you have a father in heaven who cares for you, who's not surprised at the season that you're in. In fact, he promises that his spirit, his word, and his working through the church and through his means of common grace, he will work this for our good. So turn to him. Remember, this is our father who cares if you've had your daily bread or not. Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer. He cares if you have your daily bread. 
He cares whether you've had enough to eat today. He cares if you're clothed. He cares how many hairs are on your head. You know, God knows those details as well. <laughs> it's amazing to think about. And some of us, our hair is turning a little bit gray. He knows how many of those we have as well, whether you're using product to, to camouflage it or not. He cares. He also cares about things like anxieties. And sometimes I even saw a post this last week. No, Christians aren't supposed to struggle with anxiety. Christians aren't supposed to struggle with anxiety. But how do you explain 1 Peter 5, 7? Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How do you cast something on the Lord that you don't have? We do have anxiety. If anyone among you is suffering, beloved, pray. I can't, I can't offer you all the solutions in the world. I can offer you a heavenly father who is with you in this season. We can be thankful for that. We can pray in faith for that and hope for that, that he is working. And remember, not all suffering lasts our whole life long. It's a season. Feels like forever, but it is a season. And our father knows when that season will end and we start a new season. For example, some of us may find ourselves in a season of strength this morning. We might be quick to give thanks for that one. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. But it's a a good reminder for us that even in our seasons of strength, we don't automatically then beat our own chest and thank ourselves for our hard work. Where should we look? We look to the same Father that we look to in our season of emptiness. We make a joyful noise to the Lord. Psalm 100 says, Because he is our father, every good gift comes from above, as James told us in James chapter 2. Everything comes from above, so thank the Lord. And I love the power of music. That's why it's such an important part of our ministry on Sunday morning. It's an opportunity for you to come in wherever you're at, whatever season. It calls our hearts to respond to the truths that we claim to believe. Our whole body, our voices, our mind, our everything is wrapped up in singing. I want to encourage you, friends. I know some of us may, might not be as good of singers as others. That's not why we sing. We sing to make a joyful noise. So whether you're croaking like a frog or singing beautifully like some of our musicians up here, we sing with a joyful noise to thank God. Do you think it's a coincidence that smack dab in the middle of the Bible, the third lar- long, longest book in the Bible is a book of songs, 150 of them for every season of life, to direct our hearts to God. Are you happy this morning? Are you thankful this morning? Even if you're suffering this morning, singing gives an opportunity to give thanks to God. Well, what about those who are in prolonged seasons of weakness? Because he says, anyone suffering? Okay. Uh, Anyone cheerful? Okay. What about this season? Is anyone among you sick? What do we do when we have no strength and we're overwhelmed. Now, when you see that word sick, what do we think of? We think of physical sickness. Got a cold, you got a flu. I don't believe that's exactly what James has in mind here, although certainly if you were sick and in the hospital, please let us know because we do care about you. We would want to pray for you. But it seems to be here, based on the context, he's talking about suffering. He's talking about persecution. He's talking about um, the the weight of the world being on someone's shoulder from these burdens, and where do we turn to when we have that? So I, 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 from my understanding, my study of this word and what the commentators say, 
this really seems to be more of a soul sickness. Could be a, a sin that you're struggling with and has, has just overpowered you. It could be a, uh, it could be a mental issue. It could be a physical issue that is also a mental issue because it's hard to, to just draw a hard and fast line between our body and our mind and our spirit. God knows at what point they all meet. We are one being, but whatever the case, if you are overwhelmed, barely able to get out of bed anymore, barely able even to function, not even able to know what to do next, you know, your father has already provided spiritual resources for you to encourage you and to lift you to the Father. He says, call for the elders of your church. Who are these elders? And, 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 and what can they do? So the elders are the pastors, shepherds, overseers. All those, all those terms overlap. Episcopos is the Greek word, but it means shepherd, overseer. These, these are the spiritually mature designated leaders over the local body. So next week, we, we charter together as, as a church fellowship, right? We, we take that step together to promise and commit together as a church. James assumes, even though these Christians are scattered all over, they're a part of a local church. How else would you know who the elders are? They're part of a church. You're being regularly fed and, and nourished in the word. So he says, call for the elders. Let them pray over you. Let them anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, first glance, this is one of those verses that gets taken out, taken out of context all the time. It almost seems like uh, the pastors have magical prayer powers. If you just call the pastors to your house or your home and they pray over you and they anoint you with some oil, boom, everything's good to go. You are lifted. All your problems are done. Remember, let's look at the context here. The focus is on the prayer, not the spiritual maturity of the person, as if that makes your prayer more effective than just any ordinary Christian who's trying to follow Jesus. Rather, this anointing, it's representative of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the lives of the church leaders, but also, beloved, in you. The, the magic is not the oil. <laughs> so if someone tries to sell you some oil from Israel and tell you this is the magic stuff, no, that's not, that's not the point here. The point is people care for you and they pray for you with love and God hears the prayers of his servants. God hears. God cares. He cares that we pray over one another. And when you feel like you hardly have even the strength to pray yourself to know that we can and should reach out to the body of believers and especially the elders, this is our calling. We are called to represent Jesus to you all. And we are so aware, Pastor Dennis and I, how imperfectly we do that. And yet by God's grace and by his spirit, we have been gifted and called to point you all to Jesus. But you also have the same Holy Spirit if, in fact, Christ is in you. So it is that prayer of faith, resting in the Lord, admitting I don't have the strength in and of myself, whatever season I'm in. And the Lord works through that. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the name of the Lord. Did you see that? They pray in the name of the Lord. That's where our power comes from. 
You want to know what, what makes Living Hope Church Living Hope Church? It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know why, why my prayers get answered? If and when they get answered, it's because I'm praying in Jesus' name. That's the point. And when we pray for one another, we're praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I know how our culture acts today. When someone's going through a hard time, you know, I don't want to bother anyone. Uh, you know, they're busy. They got stuff going on. I'll try to work it out. Or uh, maybe we take the opposite approach and, well, if they're not asking for help, I don't want to pry. I don't want to be nosy. And it's true. You don't want to be a busybody if someone's not inviting you into that. But we should care how the person next to us is doing. And I pray and I want this church to grow. I'll tell you, we also need to grow smaller. That's why small groups are so important. I actually care how each and every one of you are doing, and I hope and pray that you care about those around you, how we're actually doing. I'm not just going to assume you're in a season of, of health and everything's going great and you're, you're in strength. Whatever season you're in, though, we are told here that it's the prayer of faith that saves the one who is sick. It's the prayer of faith that God answers to raise up. It's the prayer of faith that forgives sins, whatever sins you have committed. If we're not praying with faith, are we actually trusting that God will work? This isn't, uh, you know, if you have enough faith, well, then God will heal you. And if you pray but don't have enough faith, then God won't heal you. No, it's the firm belief that God will heal me if he wants to. And if he doesn't, he will give me the strength to go through it. That is the prayer of faith. That's how we became Christians. I admitted I don't have this all together. I am a sinner. I have fallen short of God's glory. I honestly deserve judgment in the lake of fire. I've fallen short of your glory, God. Romans 3.23 tells us that. But I realize that God is a God of grace. He's a God of love. He has provided already through his son a means of rescue. And I called out to him and he rescued me. That is the prayer of faith we are to take into every day. You got issues in your house? Call out to the Lord. You got issues in your family? Call out to the Lord. You got issues with your bank account? Call out to the Lord. We need his grace. But I have a question for you. Do you focus more on the sins and problems going on in other people's lives? Or is the biggest need in this world today my need for Jesus? Because I was talking to a couple at Panera the other day. It's an older couple, sweet couple. They started talking to me about what I was, what I was eating and what I was studying as I was, I was working on a sermon. I told them we're, we're here starting a new church. I told them about Living Hope, and uh, which Titus will joke with you. Dad does this a lot. Uh, and it's true. It's true. It's a calling. And as I was talking to this couple, they said, that's a really good thing that you're doing. You know, they live right over, right over here in Palmyra but not because they thought they needed any kind of spiritual encouragement. They talked about how the world is going to pot. This generation is, is really off. Oh, I wouldn't want to be born in, in you know, today's day. I wouldn't want to be born in this generation. And it's like there was a veil in front of their eyes. Do you not think that you need this Savior, this good news, God to work in your life? Oh, no, no, no. Those, those lawbreakers, those prisoners, those politicians, they need Jesus. I'm doing okay. Don't you see how, how proud that is? 
you are not the answer and you do not have the sufficiency in whatever need it is, especially with your spiritual needs. It's God who saves. It's God who forgives. It's God who raises up because he is faithful. Have you ever sincerely reached out to him and asked him to save you, to forgive you? Because if you haven't, then you don't have the strength of the Lord holding up your life. You're still trying to do it on your own. And that's a foolish game to play. Let me invite you today. The blood of Jesus covers all sins. Ask him and he will save. He will raise up. We can pray in full faith. Secondly, God works powerfully through the prayers of his saints. That's why he says we're to confess our sins to one another. We're to pray for one another. Why? That you may be healed. Whether it's spiritual healing and encouragement, whether it is physical needs as well, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. You know what that tells me? When we have a church family that is so confident that our God is able, nothing is too hard for him, then we are eager to step up and pray for one another because he's answered prayer in my life. He will answer prayer in your life, in his timing, and in his way because the Spirit empowers our prayers. It's not like our prayers fall on deaf ears. So we might feel that way sometimes. Is my prayer even getting past the ceiling? If you are in Christ, the Spirit carries those prayers before the throne room of God Almighty right now. You can even have a conversation with God right now. If you're, if you're like, I'm not, I'm not understanding what Josh is saying right in this moment. God, help me. He hears that prayer. God, I'm really struggling to believe what's being said right now. Help me. He hears you in his throne room right now. It's like you're standing there because Jesus is standing as your high priest. The spirit brings the prayer. So how would you pray differently if you could see Jesus in all of his glory? Would that change the way that you pray? Just, you know, thank you, God, for this food. Help us to have a good day. That's as far as our prayers go. Is that what you would say if you were standing before the throne room of Jesus? Or would you, would you pray a little bit more boldly, differently, humbly? That's where our prayers go. They don't fall on deaf ears. It brings an immense confidence to our corporate prayer. And that's why as we pray out loud, that's an essential part of our weekly worship on Sundays, but it's a part of our worship all week long. God's grace brings us in. And as we pray for one another, we get to share in those blessings together. You know, when, when you pray for somebody, is it not a blessing for you to help bring them before the presence of Jesus and encourage them? That's a blessing. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Like That's almost better than the answer to prayer itself. Someone loving you in the name of Jesus. It's a blessing to do that. So don't rob the church of that opportunity and suffer alone. Let us lift Christ up with you because then he is glorified in the sharing then we will also glorify him together in the receiving. And you come back and report, here's what God has done. He hasn't answered this yet, but he, he surprised me and he did this this week. Praise God. Let's continue to pray. Let's continue to lift each other up. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. So the other day, I think it was Monday, Lacey went to put the key in the, in the SUV. Click, click. One start. 
unfortunately she wasn't at home because our cars never break down when they're at home it's always when you're out in a, in a parking lot somewhere so click click nothing try to start it up nothing turns out the battery is dead everything else in the car worked just fine the doors the uh you know you could adjust the the rear view mirror the tires are great they're inflated but when your battery is dead and you have no power the car goes nowhere so thankfully we had a kind person come by and give her a jump because i was at home with the kids and ryan and courtney were there ready ready to help as needed but but uh, by god's grace he got her going we got the new battery the next day and, and we we're able to replace that james here uses that kind of concept when he says uh the prayer of a righteous person is so powerful the word is energeo or where we get our word energy the prayer of a righteous person that's energy do you want the power of God in your life? That's what prayer can do. That's what prayer does do. Even if you feel in that moment, well, maybe this is powerless. I don't feel like it's getting past the ceiling. The power doesn't come from you. The power comes from Christ. And prayer is the channel for his grace to encompass your life. But there are times when our prayers are not heard before the Lord. For example, in 1 Peter 3, 7, we're told if a man is mistreating his wife, his prayers are hindered from before the Lord. So that tells me that prayer is not just some magical formula. You say these words, God's obligated to act. He says, if you're a hypocrite, if you're abusing those dependent on your protection and guidance and care, and you, and you would presume that I am going to give you what you want, you've got another thing coming. First confess to your wife, make things right with your, your wife, and then I will hear and bless you. But first, love others the way I have shown you to love. Prayer is not a magical formula, but it is the power of God for those who posture our hearts to receive him. I'm encouraged in our, in our men's group, we've seen just a really great fellowship take place there. And these men, they're sharing life stuff with each other. And we're discussing the word and how does the word apply to the situation? How does this word encourage us? We're seeing our small groups as well. And I love that because as we open up to each other, it opens up our hearts to what the Lord would have to show us from his word. Worship is both instruction from the word and heartfelt response in prayer. And the church allows us to do that to our fullest potential. The church allows us to flourish. This is God's family. You're not an orphan if you are in Christ. You are part of a family. And we need each other. And we need this example. But you don't have to be perfect for God to hear your prayers. Amen? Amen. Thank God. Because he wouldn't hear a one of my prayers any day. In fact, he uses the, the example of Elijah. You know much about Elijah? Or Elias? Was the, was the way that the, the Jews would say his name. We say Elijah. Elias was a man who had a nature just like us. So that means imperfect, times of doubting. Uh, there were even times where he, he wished that he was dead and he was willing to quit on life. We're told that in 1 Kings 19.4. He was so exhausted and burned out from trying to do so much for God and battling for the truth and, and still being persecuted by the king and and the queen of Israel, and they, they were seeking his life. He's like, God, I'm just tired of this. Just kill me already. That's a prophet of God. It's a man of God. One of the most famous prophets in the Old Testament. 
and yet he struggled the same way that we do. But you know what happened when he prayed for the rain to stop, to show King Ahab his sin and Israel, their wicked ways? God stopped sending rain for three and a half years over the land of Israel. If, if God heard that prayer and worked in that way, could he possibly work powerfully in my life? James tells you, count on it. Count on it. The same spirit works today, and you have something that Elijah does not have. You have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit inside of you because those who are in Christ have been sealed by his Holy Spirit. Thanks to the cross and the empty tomb, he's opened up a new and living way. So Elijah had a temporary anointing of the Spirit, which was still more than sufficient for the task God called him to. But if we are in Christ, we have the fullest indwelling of the Spirit of God. He is with you now. He will be with you tomorrow. So we can pray fervently, knowing that our prayers are powerful. We can pray for one another. We're told to pray for one another many times throughout Scripture. Romans 15, Ephesians 6. We're to pray with uh, pray with um, love for one another. We lift each other up as the Spirit empowers us. And church, I got to say, I see so much potential in front of us. Boys and girls, I see potential in your life for God to do something amazing with it. Same for moms and dads, grandparents, young married couples, singles, all of us. No matter your stage of life, God's power can be fully evident and working in your life. He's called us to such a life. He's called us to a life of abundance and joy in Christ. That's what John 10, 10 tells us. So if we pray with power, that means there's real encouragement for the hurting. There's real strength for the struggling marriage. There's grace for parenting when it seems like this ain't working. There's emboldness for the next generation for us to, to preach the gospel and be a bold witness to our community. We who are weak. Our Christ is strong. We have power in our prayers. And finally, let's remember this. Verses 19 to 20. It's, it's a closing remark, but it's so encouraging for all of us. You know, the Father uses us to help others stay on track. Faith is a, a work of community, not just an individual. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know you'll, you'll save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And I had a, a, a former pastor, I think I've told you about him. His name is Stephen Davey. And he tells a story, and Lacey and I have seen the video, actually. You can see it today on, on YouTube. There was a time in the church building where these, these two does, you know, two deer, somehow smashed through a window or a door that was made of glass and got into the church facility. During the day, while it's filled with people and homeschoolers and staff, and these deer are just tearing up and down the hallways. And you can see it on the security footage. Like, you're just looking. There's a, there's a sea of, of homeschooled children walking in the hallway, and the deer comes darting down, and they part like the Red Sea. A deer almost took a kid out. Like, it was like sprinting by right here, and the kid ducks just in time. A deer goes tearing through there. You've never seen anything like that. But actually, if you Google it, deer breaks in a church building, you'll find out this happens fairly regularly. So something about those deer, they just, they'll hit your car, they'll hit your building, they'll hit you. So 
watch out, all right? Um, here we kind of worry a little bit more about alligators, but, but it happens. Now, in the church today, I don't think we need to worry so much about deer breaking in. But as my pastor pointed out, it's usually when the sheep wander away. The sheep wander. When we get off track, it's, it's the empty seats that our hearts go out to and that we're burdened for. It's those who should be here because with their mouth they confess Christ, they confess he's Lord and Savior, but with their life they have wandered off the path. That's a burden on our heart. And James tells us that's actually a good burden to carry. We are called to carry one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2 tells us. So unlike Cain, the firstborn child of Adam and Eve in Genesis, who murders his brother. Then when God asks him about it, he says, am I my brother's keeper? The body of Christ says, yes, we absolutely are. We care for one another because Christ cares for us. And Jesus was willing to leave the 99 to pursue the one. He's the good shepherd. And if this is his flock, should we not also care? For the one who wanders? Should we not be willing to make time and dedicate prayer and, and, and our, it occupies our, our mind and our hearts and, and our texts that we reach out and care for those who wander? We're not talking about unbelievers here because how can an unbeliever wander from something they never knew? This is a believer, someone who's heard the gospel, has, has, has received Christ and has the Holy Spirit, but has closed their Bibles, tuned their ears out from the speaking, the soft voice of the Holy Spirit, and they're pursuing their flesh and what they want in life. They're trying to make their seasons happen. They've wandered. Many Christians would respond saying, well, that's, that's between them and God. Uh, I'm not going to get involved. Who will love them enough to help bring them back? Who will reach out to them and point out lovingly, the way you're going is not the way that leads to blessing. It's not the way to see God's power in your life. The, o- obedience leads to blessing. And it's that individual, individualistic mindset, that the American freedom, the American dream. You do your thing, I'll do my thing. The body of Christ works together. We're a family. He says, just like he said earlier, if someone's going through a hard time, He presupposes, if someone goes and gets him, you're going to do that, right? If someone goes and gets them, great, here's what you you should know will happen. You will be saving his soul from death, and you'll be covering a multitude of sins. Now, he's not talking here, you know, if someone wanders away from an obedient walk with Christ, they're going to lose their salvation. You can lose your salvation. That's eternal death. He's not talking about eternal death here. He's talking about like Paul in, um, let's see, this would, be, this would be Romans 7, where Paul says, oh, I hate that old nature that I still have within me. Even though I've been given a new nature in Christ, sometimes I still live like I'm a dead person. I'm not allowing the power of God to flow through my life because the decisions that I'm making, it's like I'm walking through the valley of death willingly, and I'm letting this world kind of wrestle my soul and hold it back you can't lose your salvation, but someone can walk so far away from God 
that you get a stench of death from their life because they're so disconnected from the blessings of God. If you go and rescue that brother or sister in Christ and you bring them back, you get to see that abundant life of Christ reform them and to remake them and to bless them. You also get to help cover a multitude of sins, which if you're a Jew, you understand from the Old Testament, oh, this is all through the Old Testament. Leviticus and worship, needing our sins covered. That's why we have the altar. That's why there's the the sacrifices. That's why we needed Jesus to come to cover all sins for all time, for every human, past, present, and future. That's only what Jesus can do. You know, if you help bring someone back to Jesus, you're helping remind them those sins are covered. You don't need to live that way anymore. You're opening up their lives to the work of God's grace to renew them and make them what they need to be. You get to have that kind of impact in someone's life. So next Sunday, when we read this church covenant out loud and we covenant together to one another, you know, if you're, if you're wondering, why, is, why does membership matter? Why does a member to have a list of names and who's member and who's not? Frankly, it's, it's a safeguard for us to know who's praying for us, who's helping keep us accountable in, in our walk. But it also commits us that if one of us disappears off the face of the earth, who are we supposed to pursue? Who are we supposed to help bring back if we don't know if they were ever a part of us to begin with? Church membership helps us to know and love and pursue one another, to help each other grow in the Lord and keep each other on track. What a gift. That is a privilege. And I can't wait for next Sunday. I can't wait to covenant with you all because I need you in my life. And by God's grace, I would love to be your lead pastor and help lead you towards Jesus. Pastor Dennis and I can help care for you. By God's grace, we'll see deacons raised up in this body. We'll see future pastors lead uh, 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 raised up children's ministry workers, because we care for one another. I don't know if you've been watching any of the any of football lately. This will be the last story that I tell them, and they won't be done. But you hear a lot of, and, on ESPN about the Kelsey brothers. You want to hear about the Kelsey brothers? Jason Kelsey and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, and it's a whole thing, okay? So maybe you know about Taylor Swift, and oh, oh, Travis Kelsey, that's the guy that's dating Taylor Swift. So they just don't stop talking about these brothers. And my wife and I have had multiple conversations. What is the deal with these brothers? Is there anything like, like noteworthy about them that should occupy so much of our brain space? Um, you know, I did run across a, a really neat story about these brothers. You see, Jason is the oldest brother, uh, or older brother, and Travis is his younger brother, both great football players. And when Jason was, was uh, getting into the NFL, His brother Travis was in his senior year of college playing for the University of Cincinnati. But he was a bad boy. He had some issues going on in his life. And when his team was supposed to be preparing for a big bowl game, he was out partying on Bourbon Street in New Orleans and marijuana, drinking, the whole nine yards. Well, the next day, he gets called in for a random drug testing that college players have to go through and you have to submit yourself to. So failed the drug tests. His coach brings him in and sits him down and says, you're never going to play another down for this program again. Loses his scholarship. Senior year of college, or or no, junior year of college. Oh my goodness. His life is a mess. You know what his brother does? Jason says, come and live with me for a while. Let Let me take you under my wing. Let me keep an eye on you. Let me help you get back on your feet. Let me help you get a job. 
puts it puts out a second queen mattress in his bedroom and the brother lives with the brother and over the next year he keeps a job he works hard he stays at the university of cincinnati he gets his grades up past a 3.0 and then jason goes above and beyond calls the coach and says coach i really want you to reconsider that conversation with my brother he he is he is working so hard to turn his life around i'll vouch for him so the coach is willing to have another sit down with Travis and he says, look, man, if you mess up once, if you don't keep your grades up, you're not going to get your scholarship. You're going to have to earn it and you're not going to be able to be quarterback anymore. You have to be tight end. Travis says, I don't care. Whatever it takes to play football, I'll do it. And they have a Cinderella season and, and Travis has an incredible season. He gets his scholarship back and gets drafted into the NFL. And you know why that all happened? Because he had a brother that refused to give up on him. That you can come live with me. I'll make space in my schedule for you. You know why? Because they were brothers. But I don't think they're Christians. But that's a good example for us. If we are brothers and sisters in Christ, what will it take to love each other well? Would we put a mattress out in our room? Would we help them find a job? Would we help them with the mess in their house when a pipe breaks? This is what it means to be a family. And I want to encourage you, church, check in on each other. Love one another the way that Christ has loved us. And most importantly, remember, as we go out today, have faith in your God. Faith in every season. If you're in suffering or in strength, His grace will work through you. And in fact, if you share about your struggles, God will even work through that to bless others, and that blessing will return on you. Let's be hearers and doers of this word. Let's remember these instructions from James, and let's pray and ask God to help us as we close out our study in the book of James.